You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jim Shooter, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is The Eternals, episode 1A, covering a period of The Eternals from 1976 to 1977. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Eternals co-host, Eric Findlay. And I'm also co-hosting, it's Greg. So we have two co-hosts today. The Eternals is such a big concept that I thought we should have more than just two co-hosts today. So uh, Eric and Craig, you are no strangers to this show. You've been on m- many of my episodes before. Eric, you've been on Fantastic Four and Ant-Man and Moon Knight. And Moon Knight, yep. Craig, you've been on Silver Surfer and Thor. And Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange. Wow, okay. Uh, man, we got to get back to some of these these, uh, these episodes. It's been a long time since we revisited any, any of those characters. But it's going to be a good time to do it, too, because a lot of those, I think, will overlap at different points with aspects of the Eternal, since it's bouncing around the cosmic Marvel universe. That's very true. In fact, um, I, was going, I haven't pitched this to you guys yet, but after we finish going through this book, the follow-up book uh, that ties up a lot of the loose ends is in Thor. So so we should probably do a Thor episode uh, shortly after we tackle this one here. Uh, but we're talking today about Jack Kirby's Eternals. Now, I have to be honest, I've never really cared for the Eternals before today, <laughs> really. <laughs> like, historically, I, I've... At this moment, you started caring. That Yeah, just because I'm here in the room with you two. No, uh, it's just that I've, I've never read these original issues, and any time they popped up in whatever small corner of the Marvel Universe, which is not often... I just, maybe because I didn't know the story, I never connected with the characters. Actually, one of them has popped up significantly. True. Yes, yeah. that's true. And we'll talk about her yeah. <laughs> in a little while. Yeah. Um, my my exposure to the Eternals has been this one character you're talking about was on the Avengers. Seriously. Seriously. We can, we she, can was, she was the leader of the Avengers for a while. And... Um, that was sort of a period that I really liked because I, I I was a big fan of Thunderstrike, big fan of of Black Knight, and so um uh when she was on the Avengers, like I kind of knew her a little bit. But same thing where the Eternals as a whole, it's like you kind of know about them, but they're they've always been so lore heavy that it's hard to get into them. Oh man, yeah. And uh, I I've gotten into them more recently with the newer miniseries that they've had in the last couple of years. But yeah, it's 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 tough sometimes to read them. The the game in Romita. Uh, series was the first one that I really had like exposure to this this group of characters um, and I'm wondering how much of that is going to influence the movie versus this rather um, mythologically heavy as Eric was saying sort of uh, weighted down a bit mythos created by um, by Kirby that also wasn't yeah it, it like it, it's quite dense very very dense there's a lot going on behind the scenes and I- even in these 10 issues 
there's already so much that he like so many questions that he raises and just things that I'm sure he's planning on flushing out later in the back half of these issues. Oh, so I do want to say we are going to only tackle half of this book in this episode and we'll tackle the other half of this book in the next episode. We are following the Eternals by Jack Kirby Complete Collection, which collects all 19 issues plus the the annual of the original series, but we are going to talk about issues 1 through 10 today. This is Kirby's return to Marvel. So if this I think some of this history is really important to know going into this book because I think it influences a lot of the decision making that he makes in terms of the characters he's choosing and the way he's telling his story. Now, he had a falling out, of course, with Stan Lee in the 60s, and he left Marvel for DC, and he went to DC and created a lot of new characters and new concepts, such as Omak, the Omak character, and um, the new gods. Commandy. But yeah, the, the new gods is the big one, and I left that for last because that's the most relevant to this. The whole concept of the fourth world, and we're going to come up with that number fourth in these comics as well but the fourth world the new gods the forever people and mr miracle all of that uh, it was his creation at dc it's interesting to me too because what he did at dc was very similar to this but it seems to have had a much more uh, lasting or, or profound effect on the whole dc universe dark side for example oh, is, yeah. is from that uh, creation so even though dc had been around for decades prior he he influenced it greatly and then he came back to marvel and created well and even Eternals. even um mr Miracle has been on uh, JLA, J- Big, JLI. Big Barda. Right? Big Barda has been on um, uh, Orion. Um, Metron. Metron. Yeah, they've all been around on the yeah. big teams. Those are all characters that have persisted through time and continually get new series and new new miniseries or, or guest spots on teams or whatever. Whereas, yeah, the Eternals, other than Circe, it's like the Eternals stay separate. Circe also wasn't his creation, though. It, it's, it's often forgotten that she actually shows up, uh, the character shows up for like three pages in uh, Venus like a decade prior. I didn't know that. Venus, and, is that the Timely Comics era? Like yeah, before the Timely Marvel? Comics, but they make reference to, in in the Eternals, they make reference to that and talk about how they miss, they, humans couldn't spell her name. Okay. And that's the reference to her appearance in, in the Timely Comics uh, the Venus series previously. Okay, interesting. She, she helps, uh, um, using her molecule power, she helps make ugly women less ugly <laughs> so that they can find husbands. <laughs> oh, the 50s. Uh, okay, so I want to read a little <laughs> excerpt from Marvel Comics The Untold Story by Sean Howe. It says, In California, Jack Kirby was miserable. After a promising start, his relationship with DC had quickly turned sour. Shortly after he signed with the company, its sales had ceded first place to Marvel in an industry that was failing. The comics that made up Kirby's mythological fourth world universe, New Gods, The Forever People, and Mr. Miracle, were cancelled. Kirby's stilted dialogue met resistance, his rendering of Superman was repeatedly corrected to match DC's house style, and his non-superhero concepts failed to impress editors. I know this isn't a DC podcast, but as a person who just absolutely loves Superman, I really wish I could see a, a true Kirby Superman unedited. Well, you actually can. If you buy any of those um, well, those exactly. those trade paperbacks or the omnibus that has that fourth world material, they have um, bonus material at the back that shows the unedited faces, and it looks like a very typical Kirby face with the, the flat nose and the huge brow. No, like, but it's still, it's not actually part of, like, it's, I know you can see the sketches and everything, but, like, just to see it in full glory, like, if they put out the full issue. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Uh, okay, it says, Kirby knew there was still a home for him at Marvel, and Stanley had made 
that clear in interviews. He said, we never had a fight, but I don't know how true that actually was. I think Stan says that all about his relationship <laughs> with a lot of the artists. Yeah. He says, uh, we got along beautifully. I have the utmost respect for his ability and I wish he'd come back. So anyway, he eventually does come back and listen to this. Kirby's three-year contract with Marvel here called him to produce 13 pages a week at a rate of $1,100 a week or $57,200 a year, which works itself out to $85 per page, which was a, a really big rate. Um, he declined to revisit Fantastic Four or Thor or any of the titles he created with Lee. Instead, he would take back Captain America as a sole writer, artist, and editor. He'd do an adaptation of 2001 A Space Odyssey, and he'd introduce a new creation, yet another ancient secret of alien visitors concept, The Eternals. He's doing three titles, three monthly titles. Actually, I don't think they were all monthly. Um, I think one of them, Captain America, was monthly. Uh, can you check to see if Eternals was monthly? Eternals yeah. was monthly. Okay, so he was still pumping out a ton of stuff. Yeah. 13 pages a week is is insane. I think that's, that's yeah. like pretty incredible. And if you look at the bonus yeah. art in the back here, we have pencil sketches from Kirby of some from some of these pages that are before inked and you can see that he even he like he blacks in all every single one of the blacks he doesn't just do rough layouts he doesn't leave things up for the inker to to interpret he does every single detail kirby was a workhorse and it's just incredible just on that 85 dollars the current page rate at marvel is only 180 so uh, it's only slightly more than double now if you wow the rate the infl of inflation inflation right yeah so yeah i just wanted to read that clip because it's it's good to understand where kirby was at here he he's starting fresh again for the second time and there's another quote in this book where Jerry Conway says, once Jack came in, the attitude Stan had was if Jack wants to be his own boss, that's what he's going to be. Just leave him to himself. And so that was Jack's own corner. Now I've read Kirby's Fourth World. Actually, I haven't read the whole thing because I actually got bored halfway through it and <laughs> stopped reading because it is so incredibly dense. And the one thing I thought was, man, Kirby could really have used an editor to kind of rein him in just a little bit. Uh, I think it it didn't help that he was trying to do four books at once that all tied into the same big story. That kind of hurt it a little bit. And so with Eternals, I thought while he's doing the same con kind of concept, it was a breath of fresh air because it was only one title. And I think he scaled it back just a little bit. I wonder how much of that, though, was because he sort of had a chance to reflect on what did and didn't work the first time. Um, because there's a lot of uh, comparables between the Eternals and the Fourth World. It yep. is, uh, you know, cosmic, all-powerful beings visiting Earth. It is a conflict between their sort of these... these The different hierarchies. And also and... that, yeah, and then their, their, like, lesser creations. And, I mean, there's a lot of similarities you can see as you go through um, even design pieces. And, um, and so I wonder how much of that was, was things where Kirby was able to start and say okay like this maybe didn't work and I, I need to streamline this or i need to polish this up a bit yeah but but even if it is streamlined a little bit or, or it's easier to read i still found it um challenging at times because there uh there's so much narration like every panel almost has a text box at the top of it um just detailing what's going on and sometimes it's like it'd be nice if this just was you know the definitely char the characters 
talking. And that's, it shows he still didn't have an editor and he was doing what, and that's what Kirby does. Like that is, he's just a very verbose storyteller in that sense. Uh, So yeah, you have to, have to be able to get (laughs) past that. Now I did ask a bunch of people online to see what their thoughts on the Eternals happened to be, if they liked it or if they didn't like it. So I have some comments here. Mr. Rice or Mr. Reese says, I really wanted to like this, but I found it pretty tedious. While there are a lot of interesting elements and some interesting characters, this doesn't really translate into a compelling story, which I found meandering and slightly anticlimactic. Now, we haven't reached the climax yet, so we can't comment on that. But uh, yeah, it it does get a little meandering, I thought, even toward the end of what we read here. Yeah, I I felt the same thing. There are some places where I'm like, oh, that's an interesting twist to the story. And it's not really a twist. It's just it was heading one direction and then it just sort of like is doing something different. Some of the twists, as you say, I thought were a bit unearned. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought visually uh, compelling, and I would love to yeah. see it rescripted. Like, not... <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh no, that'd be great. So yeah, that's a not, lot of the not same... abandoning Kirby altogether, but that, like you said, have someone come in and edit it down. So Cody is rodeo says the art is amazing. Story kind of dwindles in quality as it goes along. It feels like all his new gods, Mister Miracle, and DC DC stuff was a lot better. Uh, that had an odd ending too, with additional trades, etc. But was longer and solid for a longer length of time. Probably because he had an editor. He, I don't think he had an editor for that DC. Well. Oh, okay. I think he was much pretty editing. much on his own for that too. Like mm-hmm. once you reach Jack Kirby status in the seventies, <laughs> there, like you That's know, true. you get to call the shots. I don't think there's a. I mean, I guess what Jim Lee would be the closest comparable today. And... Yeah, that could be. Or like maybe Jonathan Hickman these days could be getting up up there mm-hmm. a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, but then he doesn't control his visuals. He's still not like he doesn't have full control over true him. that's right. right like kirby was yeah so in that sense yeah jim lee as a writer and artist like todd mcfarlane could probably be but he's not from yes marvel. i imagine if todd mcfarlane phoned up marvel and said give me back spider-man they would hand it over yes <laughs> <laughs> And then also pay no attention to what he's doing yep. as long as the sales were there. Okay, Billy Delicious says, it was awesome. I did read this before I read The Fourth World, and obviously there are some very similar concepts, but again, it was still awesome. The artwork alone is breathtaking and makes it worth a read. Evan Bevins says, I met the Eternals in issue 15. Bought it as a kid in a flea market just because of the Hulk on the cover. Turned out it wasn't the real Hulk, but the issue... Oh, that's a spoiler alert. But the issue where Icarus and Circe battle the cosmic-powered Hulk bot was great. Uh, read and read the full run this year and that issue was the highlight a little bit of side trivia there that uh, cosmic hulk robot was uh stand out enough to get itself a hero clicks uh figure <laughs> <laughs> really did the eternals ever get themselves hero clicks figures uh i i don't know there may have been <laughs> <laughs> so the, yes. the only eternals thing from the eternals <laughs> series to make it into the hero clicks canon was the hulk bot is what you're telling i've, I've, not I've missed even a few Cersei, the, who was on the avengers i've missed a few of the uh, newer sets but uh i don't know i don't think so wilco says i was so excited with the first couple of issues as a kid in 1976 and thought that this was really going to be something a big idea from jack based on something that interested me at the time totally lost me after that stage needed stan to guide it to long-term greatness i'm not sure people would agree with with that comment about stan necessarily but uh or that it ever achieved long-term greatness right oh they did a couple of them did in the mighty thor set which was after i stopped uh, buying them i'm gonna can i can i assume it's it's uh toad and and crow <laughs> yeah you, you can assume whatever you want 
Surely there are some <laughs> celestial hero clicks. I don't think so. Uh, yes, Zirin the Tester, the big oh, one. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did this. Okay. Eric says, uh, Eric Knock and Knowall, it says, it says, I thought it started out great and then completely lost its way. Daniel Cosmic says, Jack Kirby's grandness was on full display with these giant concepts chock full of new characters and personalities and oh my, the Celestials. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> I wonder, just listening to some of these comments, I wonder if the way you uh, respond or the way that you enjoy Eternals is affected by whether you read it before or after the fourth world like if, if mm. that because it would seem as a more original concept if you hadn't you hadn't uh, yet read the fourth world uh, and so then the fourth world would come off as sort of more of the knockoff piece even though it came first when it just in the order of your if you're experiencing it yeah it could be yeah it's hard to say I mean I've read I read the fourth world first and you know didn't enjoy that would that influence whether or not I like this would I like should I should I have liked this more because I didn't like that other one I don't know. But I mean, there's no way for you to know the other side because you can't unread the first one to read yeah, this first, that's right? right? Like it's uh, <laughs> very but, uh... true. Okay, a couple more. Uh, this one, Mr. Raven says, Kirby makes it great. Bill says, I never cared for the Eternals. Circe was okay in the Avengers, though hardly one of the most memorable members of the team. Makari was fun as Quasar's pal slash pseudo sidekick, but that's about it for me. And Alan says, I loved it, though it was only recently that I sat down and read it all the way through properly. I have to say it is an enjoyable series, but one that perfectly highlights why Jack needed someone to write scripts for his plot slash ideas <laughs> and dialogue at all. There you go. Some of his scripting needs knocking into shape a bit. He was brilliant for concepts and big ideas, but as he goes along, more and more characters get introduced, some fall by the wayside, unintended, I guess, and a lot of plotting and story doesn't get resolved. I don't, I don't know if they fell by the wayside unintended. I mean, if you remember, he didn't get to see this book through, so yeah. we don't know what he'd planned to do bringing those characters back in or referencing back to them later. So That's true. They, they sort of fell by the wayside because the whole book eventually falls by the wayside. Yeah. Alistair says, I haven't read it in years, but never warmed to the stories of the characters. Paul says, I um, only read it recently and I loved it, but it was my first exposure to the characters. It is flawed, characters not always rounded enough, scripts a little clunky and old-fashioned, but it has an irresistible charm to it. The Marvel Universe became more interesting from the gods and races, likewise in humans beyond just superheroes. His character designs are incredible and Celestial's every bit as iconic as Galactus. It's probably the best and most lasting of his 70s work returning to Marvel. And I would agree with that because his other work includes uh, um, a silly run on Black Panther. Machine Man. M Machine Man, which hasn't, he's not a really memorable character. He, he shows up from time to time, but usually um, with somebody else. Yeah. Like he's, he's rarely just him on his own or getting his own title or something, right? And the other, la the other one is Devil Dinosaur, who mm. seems to actually, like Devil Dinosaur is actually getting his own TV show in a little <laughs> while. Didn't, so. he, didn't he do a bit of Captain America? And he did a Captain America, but that run, I don't think is you know it's not one of the most talked about highly regarded runs of captain america that's for sure Okay, we have a lot of comments a lot of people wanted to chime in on this one here collected this is ben ben says collected them all in the early 80s when they were easy to find in quarter bins that tells you something right there <laughs> won't, won't find that anymore yeah kirby was connected with the previous decade zeitgeist for alien visitors in ancient times chariot of the gods Adding to its, adding to it his usual mishmash of super people fighting a secret war. Favorite characters: Circe, Reject, and Carcass. Loved Kirby's single and double page spreads showing the size and scope of the Celestials. Sorry, who who was that coming from? Because I fully agree with them. That was the highlight of this series for me. It was those like on the third, fourth pages where you have those massive yeah. double page splashes. That was just uh, this is were, Ben Toon. Were, well, Ben, you're you're a genius. <laughs> 
When the initial, he continues, when the initial series ended, Marvel tied up the loose threads in Thor 283 to 300 after officially adding them into the 616 universe in Thor Annual number 7. Thank goodness we didn't have to wait the full 50 years for Arishim's judgment. Okay, Andrew says it was okay, kind of wish he'd focus on more of the actual Eternals and kind of meandered in the middle and then had a rushed conclusion. And then final comment, thanks for uh, <laughs> keeping up with all these comments, all you listeners. Last comment is from Bruno. He says, don't like. <laughs> thanks for that comment. I wish you would have fleshed it out a little bit more, but <laughs> good to know that he didn't like it. Uh, okay, it's time to move on to the actual content here. Just before we start, though, I do want to say that uh, this episode is sponsored by Dying Breed Collectors. And if you would like to purchase any Epic collection from them, you can use the code Epic Marvel Podcast and get an extra 10% off. Uh, if you want to order the Eternals Complete Collection that we're talking about today for the month of November, you can get it for 15% off if you enter the code Epic Marvel Podcast. So take advantage of those great deals and his excellent shipping dying breed collectors dyingbreedcollectors.com uh okay let's start with issue number one does anyone want to introduce this one uh sure uh issue one was an interesting one to me it, it i mean it really was dense it was like kirby was trying to pack the 15 years of the marvel universe that the eternals weren't around for into that to catch them up um but it was an interesting piece with the archaeologist and, and his daughter and um, ike harris um sort of digging their way into the the tomb uh the, the inca tomb to find the, the signal for the gods and um already some interesting little play i like i like the ike harris character and how quickly it becomes Icarus, but how Kirby was still playing around with secret identities a little bit. <laughs> yep. You get the introduction to the Deviants um, of Core. Although I thought that character was, I don't know, he's very different in that book than I found going forward. But anyway, so they, they're digging their way into the, the Inca tomb and they, they find uh, evidence the Incas had had contact with some sort of celestial beings, which they're referring to as gods at this time. And Ike Harris quickly reveals himself to be Icarus, the, the Eternal, and then quickly explains everything. And then you get a bit of action and some fighting between some rather inept henchmen and a mm-hmm. uh, disgruntled skin any pink man and um that's sort of the the issue for you there and it, it it's uh, ends ends with the arrival of the uh, of the celestials i love just how kirby this whole thing screams from start to finish the designs of the 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 statues those ancient statues and the things like the shroud gun is like that's such <laughs> a he's trying to use sort of futuristic kind of technology but it's still firmly rooted in i even think even though this is 1976 still the 60s it's a gun that shoots a fabric that wraps around you. I just kind of figured he'd brought that back from him, uh, like with him from DC off Batman's utility belt. Yeah, it's a shark repellent bat spray, right? What, <laughs> what do you think it does? <laughs> also, how no none of the DC villains ever thought to use that on Superman? Like the, the, shroud, the shroud gun? To block the eyes. Yeah. That's literally what it was because they were That's trying right. to stop Icarus's powers. Yeah. I mean, Icarus is basically a, 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 what do you call, a powered down Superman because depending on the issue, he's sometimes a powered up Superman. <laughs> um, but, but he's it, definitely a Superman analog. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And they were trying to stop him from shooting things out of his eyes and used a shroud gun. And yet somehow <laughs> Luther has never thought of that. I liked the characters of Dr. Damien and Margot and Ike Harris. But I mean, those two in particular, because they are they are 
our eyes into the Eternals world, right? They are the people that don't know that any of this is going on. They're experiencing it for the first time, just like we are. And, and But they're also the, the reason why we need the history. Yeah. If they aren't there, then there's no reason for somebody who knows the history, like, you know, Icarus, to explain the history to yeah. nobody or to somebody who already knows it. So it, they're the, 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 the vessel that moves the story along. And it's also necessary for the story because we're dealing with these three races and humans are one of the races. Now, uh, I'm hoping that you all who are listening have read this material, but just in case you haven't read this material... I can summarize it. Or is that is is that introduced in this issue or the it, next it, it, issue? Yeah. No, it it's is. in this issue. The, the Icarus, uh, Icarus, after explaining that he is in fact Icarus, uh, he goes on to explain that the Celestials had, uh, or he refers to them as gods at this point, had arrived uh, on uh, Earth. They'd been attracted by the burgeoning life forms. They studied us a bit, determined that apes seemed like an interesting specimen, took an ape, and started running some uh, experiments using cosmic chemistry as, as Kirby refers to it and um, out of that they ended up creating three powerful new species uh, humans being one of them uh, we were supposedly the balance of the two species the Eternals being the other who were uh, more like children than than creations um, and, and peace loving yeah they're very peace loving they're also quite powerful um, they're immune to death and time and then the deviants which uh, they refer to as a destructive failure in the book so the humans and they say they're unstable each new generation of deviant appeared in new and monstrous ways his lot was constant war and um so that that sort of explains it so all three species are supposed to be derived from apes being experimented on with cosmic chemistry yeah to to expand on that a bit the celestials are these cosmic beings who travel the universe and this is what they do they find the sort of prevalent um and i don't know why apes were the prevalent ones at the time here but supposedly the prevalent creature uh of the time and give them a little bit of an like a kickstart a kickstart yeah they give them a little bit of a kickstart in evolution um and so then there were three uh celestials who did these experiments and zero and the tester made deviants homo descendus and they made them have unstable genes so that each one would be different from the next when they were when they were born uh and then uh nezar the calcul uh the calculator uh actually when they created the uh, he created the eternals gave them the ability to tap into cosmic power which gave them these abilities and immortality um and then the humans uh homo sapiens and uh interesting little fact here oneg the prober gave them a latent gene for future potential for evolution is that an x gene it is an x gene oh it later became the x gene which is how we have the mutants as we know them now okay homo superior oh and uh, eternals would be homo immortalis and there's actually way more to the story as well that they don't even like that get that gets developed after kirby leaves the book of course like the inhumans are tied into it eventually and um, and then there's also like who created the Celestials. There's a whole yeah. another big story there. And, and one thing that's being explored right now in a new Eternals um, uh, miniseries, I think it's called uh, Thanos Rises, is that the Titans um, are yeah, actually a branch of the Eternals, and uh, Mentor was one of the Eternals. It's, and well, it, that's long. That's been long known that, yeah. that Thanos was one of the Eternals, but he had a defect that caused he's him a, to look like a deviant. He's, yeah, he's a deviant. Right. Well, they, 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 they talk about they talk about why 
why that is in this they, okay. that that because they're immortal the um the eternals aren't supposed to breed they're not supposed to actually like uh birth children and mentors like that's dumb we should be able to do that and so he goes off and uh tries out on his own and then the on his own well not on his own <laughs> he he, and he and his wife that's why he didn't succeed in the Thanos. <laughs> no but uh no he 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 and his wife they, they go and have a baby and it turns out to be thanos and they're like oh this is not good we should never do this Oops. again Did, didn't they also have a star fox they yeah. did have a star fox so i don't know how that plays in yet we'll see um there's only been one issue so far they have Two made issues. reference to thanos being a descendant of the eternals already in the marvel cinematic universe as well mm. because when he arrives on the planet red skull refers to him as son of alars oh and yes alars right. is Zerus' uh, brother right which is mentor we haven't we haven't met yeah. Zerus yet or anyone but right. these 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 characters that yeah. we're going to be running into over the next 10 issues yeah um we sort of got ahead of ourselves a bit there but they um they did refer to him as son of alars which is a nod already to the fact that he is in fact a, a descendant of the eternal right because if you only look at it from the titans side they never call him alars they call him mentor yeah and so if you go back to when he was alars then that's the connection to the eternal yeah. yeah nice well uh can i i want to talk about this cover the cover of issue number one is the one that's used on the cover of the complete collection and it's a, i think it's a terrible cover to put on the cover of the eternals because it doesn't have any of the iconic characters on it it has the statue of the mayan god and you can see icarus in his disguise clo- his clothing like his human clothing but it doesn't really tell you anything it's not a really compelling book but then i went and looked at every single issue that jack kirby did on all the covers and there isn't a single cover on there that has like a good team pose or something they're all actually kind of terrible covers for a collection <laughs> not one that's representative I, of the whole thing it's funny. i love the image but you're right as a cover that draws you in or um it doesn't like it, visually I, I think it's a fantastic image but it doesn't really compel you to go on almost the best thing would have been like the icarus they have on the inside fold or um him flying in his sort of superman-y yeah pose or um or battling the hulk or something yeah like that. that hulk the, battle cover apparently. that might have been the other good one but that also isn't really representative of what this book is either <laughs> i don't know if there was a I, I mean i don't know you almost needed to put like a one of those splash pages into the under the cover but then it's more a book about the celestials if you do it that way yeah so i just wanted to make that comment anyway do you have any other comments about issue number one i i just uh i love kirby's art but i was amazed at how much kirby's art suits drawing pseudo inca stuff right yeah <laughs> well it's because he's very boxy in in his all of his designs and his machinery and stuff and when you're carving in stone that's kind of what comes out a lot of the time as well with the with the ancient mayan architecture and artwork yeah i i, I was also going to say that i just really like how um he incorporated the incan mythology and and uh how they saw celestials and then worshiped them like gods and and you know made all these statues about yeah, them totally okay well why don't we go on to issue number two this one is called the celestials that's right and so the celestial the celestials are on their way they've been uh all, they've actually arrived oh yeah the celestials yeah. are have arrived on, on earth in their giant spaceship and icarus must resemble or sorry must reassemble the scattered molecules of an incan hero named keko motsin the lord of flight also known as ajax who is one of the eternals He's ajax the, ajax sorry ajax the only eternal 
that can communicate with the celestials. Okay, so I just yeah. want to say no, a- Ajax is the only eternal that can wash your dishes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, the, but but again, like I said, this is um uh very uh steeped in like lore and mythology, and so there's a lot of um Greek and Roman uh, connections. So can and- I say that I, I it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize that all of these characters are based on Greek and Roman gods. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I knew it embarrassingly long. Time. I, I knew it for a few of them, but then a couple of them, like, it takes a little bit of a, uh, uh, it's a little bit of a stretch, like Makari. Um, but he blatantly well, says, in, I mean, in this, in if this you, here. but if you don't, if you haven't read this, if you've only read newer Eternals, then they don't, they don't say that. Okay. So in yeah, the newer yeah. Eternals, they're him as Mark Curry sometimes too. Yes. That's his, like, like yeah. his Ike Harris name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. like, I think I got through Ajax and Icarus yeah. and Circe and, and Circe. And then it wasn't until we got to Fina and Zurus in olympia that i'm like yeah. oh i see what's going on here yeah maybe you were just thrown off by the biblical references yeah that's right <laughs> oh okay so this issue is a huge info dump there is so right. much backstory and explaining going on about how the deviants took over the earth the battles with the celestials that caused massive tidal waves this tells us how atlantis and lemuria sank into the oceans yeah now i don't think at this point the atlantis that they're talking about here is the same as namor's atlantis well at this point kirby was trying to do a self-contained outside of the marvel universe story right so probably wasn't referring to, to namor and tuna or whatever that blue lemuria that yeah. Atuma. yeah, 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 uh, not at all. Uh, it, it, so, but it's it, it eventually became that. It eventually yeah. became that, and I like that he's again tying it into. I, I don't want to say real world events, but mm-hmm. you know, real other mythologies that have come up and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, this is this is uh, what is referred to as the second host. The first host was when the Celestials came and, and did their tinkering. Yeah. The second host was when they came back and saw, hey, the Deviants are like wrecking everything, and so then they sort of put a stop to that. Uh, the third host is described later, um, and then this one that we're they are experiencing is the fourth host. Wait, the, hold on. The fourth? What? <laughs> fourth. Hmm. Yeah. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> It's, I want to note also that Marvel Comics at this time had 17-page uh, books. They were cutting back on the page numbers. So these are all shorter stories. And within that, Kirby has usually at least two splash pages and usually a double-page spread in 17 pages. That's a lot of, like, single-page, huge-page things. So, like, while I say this is an info dump, in all of these issues, the story actually doesn't move forward very fast at all because he has so many huge pages that are just one panel i love the uh, double splash page look like the image this one with the like the sense it gives you with the mayan yeah. pyramids in the background and just this hovering ship that almost i don't know how to describe it like a giant mothership version of blue beetles thing in <laughs> in uh, the dc universe and then the little humans and icarus and um, the deviants just like barely on the page underneath it just the sense of scale that it gives you and the energy that it's giving off is, is stupendous with the good old-fashioned Kirby dot. Yeah, this is on page 24 yes. of the complete yeah. collection if you want to check that out. If you, if you don't want to read the series, you should just go check out all of the double panel pages for the visually <laughs> striking like Kirby greatness. Oh, yeah. Very true. They're usually the third and fourth page of each book. So Marvel released one of their, whatever, king-size books that are like bigger than your bookshelf um, of the Eternals content. So I'm sure you could see these larger than life, probably as big as your coffee table. I like how Kirby ties this in not only to like Atlantis and Lemuria, but also 
also to um, like the biblical flood. There's, right. a, there's a one where one panel on page 33 where there's an ark and he says, or Icarus is saying, I myself managed to guide a great wooden vessel to safety when I discovered it carried a cargo of humans and wildlife. And they mistook me for a bird. Yeah. I don't know. They thought I was a bird or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for those of you unfamiliar with the story of Noah's Ark, yeah, they the the dove that Noah sees is the sign that the floodwaters are receding, and that dove is apparently Icarus. Very nice, <laughs> biggest dove I've ever seen wearing clothes. Yeah, bright blue and red and yellow, <laughs> as doves are. They've evolved since then. <laughs> I did say a couple of things in this book I found odd is at times in the first two books, Icarus is presented as sort of like knowing everything and really sort of like leading the humans. To to where he needed them to go in order to get through this but then at other times he seems baffled by what's going on and i found that a bit uh confusing that sometimes icarus you know he knows exactly what to do to open this thing or he knows he's looking for the switch and he knows why it's hidden from them all and he can use his powers to disambiguate the situation but at other times he's he's seems absolutely shocked like he says at one point um think how legends of strange visitations from space have become fact as if he somehow was surprised that this was the case and yet also intentionally brought humans humans here and sought out the signal that would bring back the celestials and so i found that a bit odd at times that icarus was sort of playing two roles of of both being discoverer and guide yeah and then like he's he he's seeking out the beacon that will guide the celestials um so that he can activate it it seems and yeah. but then when the celestials come they're like oh no they're gonna destroy everything yeah and like he knows the he knows the history of the and, and it happily tells us the history of everything but then also is surprised like to discover that one of his fellow Eternals was working with the, the Inca people. Like he right. somehow like lost track of one of the few <laughs> overly handsome, omnipotent, immortal, death-proof people on yeah. the planet. Like, I don't know, well, he went away from the mountain, so. It was hard to see him there. Like, you know, That's right. So I, I found that a bit awkward at times. Like they almost needed a second character to play that surprise role or I don't know, maybe needed to have Margaret or no, Mar- not Margaret, have Mar- Margo, Margo um, play, that, uh, play that role a little bit more or something. But I wonder how much Kirby had plotted this all in advance because I agree Icarus completely changes after the first few issues. Well, so does so so do a lot of the characters. Yeah, like the well, the ones that make it out of the first few issues. <laughs> yeah, um, change. Yeah, and, and it's just like, yeah, it's because Icarus is positioned to be the central character um, of our story here, but he's one of those characters, at least in the first half of this book, because I haven't read the second half yet, that gets kind of tossed to the side uh, as we move forward and as other characters introduce, because pretty much um, once we get to issues like 7, 8, 9 and such, is like Thena seems to be the main character of the book. Her, her and I mean, and he, for, for a couple issues, um, Icarus is even captured, and we don't see him That's at right. all. Yeah. Are you telling me that you didn't find him to be particularly compelling while he was locked in a tube <laughs> <laughs> yeah my, my understanding of the second host destroying everything is because the deviants were like rebelling against the celestials as their creators and they were also like enslaving the humans and uh and then the eternals were just ignoring the other two and just like doing their own search for higher enlightenment or whatever and and i guess that sort of um upsets the experiment mm. um yeah it, they, they either need to all be like completely isolated to grow on their own or work together or you know in and on with normal interactions or something and so that's why they sort of tried to reset it but also it's interesting that the that they have this uh, molecular like reconstitution device re- uh, resurrection crypt because that uh, becomes important later on in 
Although I was confused why an immortal being that is immune to time and death needed to be preserved in the chamber. I know why his minions, I understood why his minions that are going to run flight control needed to be there, but I was a little confused. But they're, they're, not e- they're not immortal as in they can't die. They're immortal as in they won't age out. But if they were to die, then they can actually be like brought back. And often when they do, um, it comes with a lot of memory loss. And so then that's like how a lot of the new volume of, of Eternals begin where they're like brought back and then they're like I don't know what happened because they sort of have to rediscover who they are or where they are or where everybody else is and what happened that kind of thing interesting yeah they should just have like a Krakoa or something uh, why <laughs> couldn't they just pull a memento and tattoo it on their uh, right <laughs> they should just do that next time okay issue number three all right so this one is titled the devil in New York D- does anyone else think that was a subtle reference to their Stanley Jack Kirby feud <laughs> <laughs> could be uh, Ajak is telling more of the story, um, but then they're sort of uh, interrupted when they realize that that the Celestials are going to uh, encase the area as sort of their home base in a giant force field, and so uh, Icarus and Margot need to run. Also, we have Crow going back to uh, his uh, his leader. What was his name? Toad. Grand Grand Toad. Toad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Great Toad. And um, we sort of start to see the deviant side of things a little bit. Great splash page like double page spread page 42 uh, yeah one of the celestials arishim the judge with his cosmic thumb of <laughs> dis- of, <decision>. of justice <laughs> either you get the, you get the thumbs up or thumbs down <laughs> Uh, and he's going to decide if this planet's going to be spared or not. The the pattern on his thumb kind of reminds me uh, a little bit of, of a uh, ultimate nullifier shape. Now, here's what's going to happen. He's putting a protective dome around himself, I guess. Uh, he's standing on these pillars. And what we're told is he'll stay there for 50 years. And when he steps off, he will destroy everything. Right. And so they... But, but there's also some sort of field around. So people who are within the field can't escape in the... In but the also... People, years, but people, people can't can get also in. get in. So, right. so Ajak and um, and Doctor Damien are going to stay in this dome, and Icarus and Margot flee so that they don't get trapped there. Margot doesn't flee willingly. No, no, she doesn't flee willingly. But uh, she also will continue to age normally, so she doesn't like. They're all like, "You can't. You still have so much of your life ahead of you." I, I find it interesting that um, that the professor would would stay, or Doctor Doctor Damien would stay, because he's going to like discover all the things that an archaeologist would love to explore and discover and he can't tell anybody about it <laughs> yeah i thought that too it's like no i'm gonna stay because this is like the 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 dream this is the discovery of the of the millennium and it's like yeah but you're just gonna die in there <laughs> but he, he can make a whole lot he of could notes. go into the resurrection chamber right can he can humans do that yeah yeah they yeah have. the incans that were in there with uh right of course yeah 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 that's right sure but then he could also leave details journals or something that he can pass on to somebody else or ambiguous journals and force everyone to solve it <laughs> in code um also in this when uh, icarus leaves they go and um meet up with another eternal that has been living in new york named circe and it's interesting that um in this issue circe ends with a y and in the rest of them it ends in an i right yeah they are definitely uh figuring things out still i thought that the spelling piece because he refers to her and it's spelled with the y when he's talking to the the doorman um was supposedly her like really pathetic attempt at a um, at a uh, secret identity 
it. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> I, I thought so too. But then they continue for the rest of that issue with it. Because don't they do? Isn't that in the? If I recall correctly, one of the more modern ones again, where they're using like Mark Curry and yeah, Susie. She's called she, Susie. No, I thought she was still Cersei, but they used the. Oh, I don't again. remember. Yeah, I think that is actually meant to be her like human version of her name. That oh, you don't that notice. that could be. That could be like Shang Chi. You called yourself Sean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What I think is interesting is that all of their powers seem to be mind-based in this. Like, through the power of their mind and then, like, out their eyes for some reason, they are able to rearrange molecules and, and do this kind of stuff. But it's um, but it comes from this background of, you know, we were on the mountaintops just, like, meditating and, and thinking and stuff like that for, for millennia, and we developed this mind power through our connection to the cosmic uh, energy. And that, it, I don't believe, is present or, or true in... in newer Eternals comic. Or even uh, by the end of this series. <laughs> uh, I like, though, the first reference to that, and I, I have the digital version, and it doesn't come with page numbers, but when Icarus is sitting in the airplane with um, with Margot, and he, he's explaining his powers, and he suddenly switches his costume. He says to her, ages of development, given his great mind powers, then his clothes change, and he says that was all just an illusion, and he's now gone to his raiment. But the thing I love best about that scene isn't him explaining his powers. It's where he switches from a yellow t-shirt and some blue jeans to three glowy red discs and a red apron and a loincloth and some metal boots and gloves uh, and says that he was switching to something more simple. Yeah. <laughs> that is on page 50. And a couple of pages before that is the double, is a is a big splash page of all of the deviants and we see Crow kind of trapped in, his, in that machine there. All of the deviants so far. Yeah, all of the deviants so far. And this is um, there's a there's a little editor's box down in the bottom corner by Jack Kirby, and that is uh, very eye opening to the fact that Jack Kirby's editing his own stuff. Because any other issue, that would have been the editor making the editorial note at the bottom, but instead it's Jack Kirby, the 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 consulting editor. It's it's called in this issue is Archie Goodwin, and sometimes Marv Wolfman gets the, the that credit as well. But I don't think that they really had any sort of hands on stuff. I think it was probably there to just make sure pages were coming in on time or something this is the already though the beginning of the changes to the characters from the first issue because in the very first issue um core and his men say we can't harm the celestial there's no way we, all we can do is distract them and at this one they are now trying to hurt him because they've now got their zed ray they haven't invented something else they just have kicked up their weaponry is now able to harm uh, yeah harm Eternals. icarus and, so, and later on we find out that Lemur- lemuria has this whole arsenal of stuff designed to try to fight off the celestials but why would you do that if you just know that there's no way to hurt them yeah so they've they've definitely already i think kirby recognized that he maybe needed to tone down the powers of his <laughs> characters a little bit i like that he's introducing one character at a time so in the first one we met icarus and the second one we met ajak and now we're meeting circe and rather than throwing all 10 or 12 characters at us all at the same time in the first issue, um, we're, we're getting them one at a time. I like that plot device. It makes for a nice, you know, multi-story serialized uh, story as but well I, because he has to kind of go on a hunt to find everybody. But I do think that's part of what made the story drag a bit at times. True, because... 
he just kept on finding new people. <laughs> like, uh, if he had a team of five, that would have been fine. But yeah, it did It did keep on going on and on, didn't it? Okay, we'll move on to issue number four. Uh, this issue is called The Night of the Demons. And uh, Icarus attempts to stop the Deviants by himself, but ends up getting captured. And that's kind of all that really happens. This kind of wraps it up in one sentence. Um, not a whole lot happens. This is where I think, like you said, things start to slow down a little bit because we're we're introducing so many characters so each one gets to tell their backstory and stuff so in this one Circe tells her backstory it's actually her her story is kind of cool because it ties into a couple of different mythologies of the past see again Icarus gets less and less powerful he's now captured and they're now using hand pistols instead of a flying attack ship it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't his fault it was the brain mine yeah but it's still shot out of a hand (laughs) pistol um the one thing I noticed with this is at times the panels of the demons in this issue that are flying around New York City reminded me of uh, parademons um yeah yeah. for sure yeah it was one of those callbacks to fourth the, the new gods and all of that piece this is the one though on again i don't have the panel what where circe talks about turning the greeks into pigs and they make reference to the ulysses story yep the odyssey um uh it is the panel where uh you'd think they never seen a spoon or fork and the sounds they made when they fill their bellies with food and then uh, margo says circe of legends you're that circe and she says uh the greek storytellers never could spell my name right that is the reference to her a name from the previous book and mm. uh at least within marvel's own uh, websites they do reference her first appearance being okay. um, way back then so that is okay. your that is your one hint towards that nice so, um, which means that she was not originally although I don't know if Kirby himself knew he was referencing back to that old timely book right. or not no I, I thought he was but, just um, meaning um, spelling the name as in like in uh, the Greek mythology Circe is uh, C-E-R-C-E yes but um, consistently they seem to reference that that Venus book number right. nine is, yeah, yeah. as the first one which tends to suggest that they are the same yeah. character yeah now, Marvel gets another character named Circe spelled that way. Yes. With the C. In Excalibur. In Excalibur. Yeah, that's right. Come back. That happens like in the 80s, I think, or maybe the early 90s. I like the fact that this is, again, references to random bits of mythology from human history. So she references the stories of Ulysses from the Greeks. And as Curtis said, these are the Greek gods. But she also references Merlin in her backstory. That's and right. talks about how she taught Merlin magic, um, which brings her into sort of some of the um, Anglo-Saxon mythology as well. So Kirby is really working hard to tie his book into the greater all mythologies well and we saw the biblical human. references already yep. sorry clarification um the excalibur character is cerise oh cerise oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That's which right. which is cerise. french for cherry cerise. yes and so she has like this red costume with like like and and like cherry pink red powers so. not the same character at all so forget what i just said it was totally wrong the uh, Cersei in this book, by the way, is probably the most, like in this issue, not just, not Eternals the book, but this issue, number four, is probably her most powerful. Like, I don't think she's this powerful again, ever redeflecting flames. And um, like, even by the end of this book, she seems to have been depowered already. But um, I don't remember her being quite this powerful when she was taking on the X-Men during the uh, um, Blood Ties series or at any point while she was fighting uh, Dean Whitman's clone or being kidnapped by the Kree. Or... <laughs> she also acted very immature through this these issues which is not the Circe that we know from Avengers to be fair though 
she's only a few thousand years old. <laughs> Still a lot of time. <laughs> just, to like, just like a little kid. <laughs> now she's constantly referencing like dancing and, and uh, like going out for fun kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it interesting that uh, the creatures that are sent to ravage New York are called mute uh, mutate. Yeah. So the deviants are already supposed to be pretty monstrous, and they have these unstable genes so that they can actually, as uh, Crow demonstrates, change their own biology like he grows horns or makes them disappear and stuff so what exactly defines a mutate in the deviant world i think they're the mutates all look the same so i think they're like the creation of the deviant yes and that actually well, is no, something that comes along later on in their mythology because it says um on page 64 at the top a winged mutated deviant yeah so didn't i think it's established or this that little line there is fleshed out later that the the deviants experiment on themselves and create i think they create the lava men and i think mm. the moloids also which then they branch out and create right. different different underground communities i can't remember if it's the moloids also but i'm pretty sure it's, it's the lava men and then the lava men are the ones that tyrannus yeah. uh, is in control of or something like that right yeah because yeah, there's like a whole bunch of subterranean races and the deviants are just one of them eventually um we get our first real look at um uh, the next big celestial and he's unnamed it's the yellow one he's unnamed in this issue but it's uh gamemnon the gatherer which would be short for agamemnon from greek mythology right and uh, his his design will change a little bit, but he's kind of the the next big celestial that we see here. Now he's there to gather data, and I think we'll see him uh, do a little bit more in one of the future issues here. Okay, shall we move on to issue number five? <laughs> Just even before we get into the story of issue five, uh, the cover of this issue to me um, really seemed to be uh, sort of fourth worldy. The blue guy in the middle just to me looks almost like he's Metron. It's Domo. The, yeah. No, I know who it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the the figure you don't know if you have of the books which is really looking at the cover uh, you got four unknown characters uh, right because this is all of their first appearances yeah yeah uh, and to me that anyways that was that was my first takeaway just looking at the cover of that one it seemed to be a real um, nod towards that that uh, and even even makari's outfit could maybe be seen as kind of reminiscent of orion yes yeah so um anyway this one this one is the follow-up to cersei and, and uh margo were captured in the last issue um and so they're now being taken to the undersea kingdom of lemuria which i guess is not the most luxurious place for a vacation um we we encounter makari or we get the makari story fleshed out a bit more we did encounter makari last issue briefly when he referenced that he's actually Mercury and humans have a speech impediment. Um, but we do meet uh, Athena, who's come now to help defend New York from the deviant attack uh, as well. And then we, we encounter Zerus. And so that's sort of the, um, the big piece with this. And they also determined that Icarus has been captured. Um, so is that that concern as well? Um, you meet Domo for the first time. Um, and so you're sort of getting a better sense. This is the one the one issue where um, Kirby has sped up the introduction of characters a bit more. We're, we're jamming a bunch of them into the 17 pages here. Um, this is again where I was going to say, you, you get a less and less powered up Cersei. They're not even bothering to hide her eyes anymore. Um, you get some pretty heroic cops trying to fight the uh, trying to fight the the mutates flying around the city. But um, for the most part, this issue is sort of more establishing the structure of the the other um, uh, Eternals. So you've got you've got Zerus, you've got you know you've got um, Domo and all of them sort of discussing a bit what to do, and then riding their sort of knockoff fantastic car into into New York City um, in order to help sort of defend the city from the demons, which is 
another good example of how Kirby was trying to build something outside of the uh, regular Marvel Universe, because a bunch of demons attacking New York City would have been the perfect chance to bring in a Spider-Man or a yeah. Fantastic or Four. Avengers or something. Or yeah. something. Um, but even at the end, he doesn't use any of the established... Um, military or government official people he he also comes up with his own at the end because it's the first time we see the pentagon reaction to a giant celestial being putting up a force field and hovering over uh, the middle of uh, mexico um so that's sort of that piece and keep in mind that in the first issue the american army already lost already lost one of its airplanes so it's not like they're unaware of the situation because they did lose one to the deviants previously um so it was that's sort of the the this issue is is a lot of exposition around who's in charge of what and and what is the hierarchy of the the Eternals uh, coupled with some demons fighting some cops. On page 84, uh, we have Zerus and Athena uh, playing a game. They are auto boxers, and one is red and one is blue, and one the red one punches the head off of the blue one, and I'm pretty sure this is a reference to Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Looks I like had that. to look oh, it up because yeah. I wasn't sure when it was made. They were made in 1964, so they're definitely yeah. around by then. Um, and then uh, on the next page, um, Makari's trying to get his point across, and he's taking some time so athena says don't keep us guessing is it animal mineral or vegetable which i believe is a reference to 20 questions where normally <laughs> you get that information as as the first bit in this issue circe uses her powers of uh, rearranging molecules she turns uh, someone's hand into wood that's something that we hadn't seen yet because she had these eye beams or whatever but uh, now we get this this part of of Circe, which seems to be her main power, but it's only being introduced now, post the last issue. So I don't know if it was like an afterthought or what, but you think that if it was her main power, Jack would have used it at least a little bit in the first time, in her first appearance here in the book to ex- explain what but she can she, do. She also never turns anyone else to wood again. No. Ever. No, but she rearranges molecules again in, in a little elemental fashion. And again, um, it's expressed as she uses her mind to rearrange the molecules, but she does it through I-beam. Right, yes. Yeah. So it's a very odd um, source or application of their power. This is also the first issue where Mike Royer is doing the inks, and Mike Royer would go on to be uh, pretty much exclusively Jack Kirby's ink from this point on. Uh, once again, this issue slows things down and really takes it time. its time. Every every character needs to have a scene where they talk a lot, and um, you know, at this point I'm like, why aren't the Celestials doing anything? They're just standing there. <laughs> they're watching they're supposed to be watching i know and like this is going to be the next 50 years come on uh, I do love the fact that Athena brings her like Wookiee level crossbow to the fight. Like she doesn't just use her; <laughs> she doesn't have eye beams like the other uh, Eternal. She's fighting the demons with with a crossbow in it. Well, that's how I felt when in the first Avengers movie, when Black Widow was in the New York battle <laughs> with two handguns against all of those aliens. Yeah, what did you want her to knife? Well, exactly. It's like <laughs> it's, just... <laughs> it's not like she was running around with a bow and arrow or something useless. <laughs> uh, I think Hawkeye proved that the bow and arrow worked pretty well in that battle <laughs> anyways yeah no i just love her wookie level like just it reminded me of when they start shooting yeah, chewbacca starts shooting everything with his crossbow blowing up airplanes that's stuff, right so. okay issue number six uh gods and men at city college again a great chance to bring in a spider-man <laughs> or an uh, uh an ice man or a human torch or or the lizard uh, any yes any of the marvel <laughs> characters known to be hanging around college campuses at this era 
Eternals and the Deviants have, they've formed a truce because they realize that working together is how they are going to stop the Celestials from destroying everything. So uh, Margot brings them to a prominent anthropologist to be presented to the public. And I find this to be a weird move because after this, the fact that they're known to the public doesn't really matter, at least in the issues that we've read here. It's like, why, why are they bothering to do this? Yeah, the idea is supposed to be, hey, let's bring together all three of these races that were created by the Celestials to work together. And then they don't involve the humans for the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> And in fact, like they say, hey, let's um, let's present ourselves so that we so that people will understand us. And they have Crow as the only representation of the deviants. And then in later issues, he continues on with this. I am what people call Satan. I'm the devil. <laughs> and so it's like, well, I thought you wanted them to like know who you were and and work together with you, but now you're doing that. Yeah, they could have picked a, a. I mean, it's not a more better looking representative, but maybe one that has terrorized humanity in the past few millenniums <laughs> or at least be a little more consistent they, like they, they, he could have if, if they, they put this move after that um like those scenes where you know he's seen terrorizing humans yeah then it would make a little more sense maybe two issues later they have a better looking option yes that's true <laughs> um i forgot to mention the previous issues but it comes up here Ajak is aware of um, Icarus being trapped in a golden, I don't know, tube, tube. and uh, plunged, buried in the bottom of the earth. And Icarus, for whatever reason, declines to rescue him because he's told by his flight crew of Incas that they could easily get him out of there. You mean uh, Ajak declines yeah. to rescue him? Yeah, uh, sorry, Ajak declines to rescue Icarus. He's totally could. Um, and I find I found that also interesting. Like he was annoyed with Icarus, and there's some sort of animosity there. And so we get in this issue, we get the Deviants themselves releasing their own their own prisoner. Yeah, I thought that was weird too. I, I didn't really understand. Fully understand how they negotiated his release. Yeah, the whole thing was kind of weird because the truce happens and you don't even kind of realize that it's happening. But it's like and all of a sudden everybody has a change of heart and uh, yeah, and then they just leave. And there's other instances where like the characters just take off and it's just said in one dialogue panel, oh they're gone, and it's like all of a sudden they appear somewhere else. And I have to think hard. Oh, what? When did they? When did they leave? So his plotting is not the best in that sense. But I will say that he is a master of composition. This issue has so much great artwork in it. Uh, that's just the the panels, the composition, everything. That every page is beautifully laid out so that you can see all of the action and like the characters are positioned in the boxes like really, really well. So, you know, Jack Kirby's a master at this time and that sort of thing. So he knows exactly what he's doing. Now, on page ninety nine of the complete collection, the top panel has the these police officers pointing all of their guns at Crow, and then you see coming in the background Athena and Makari on a ship coming in. Now this is this panel here I wanted to talk about because it's classic Kirby he loves to tell a huge story in one panel. Now, this is hard to do because, of course, comics don't move. So if you're trying to tell a story that has a passage of time, but you're telling it in one single static panel, you have to be very careful with the composition and also the dialogue. So you read, if you just look at it without the dialogue, all you see is the cops facing off against Crow and then the ship coming in the background. But once you add in the dialogue, you can see that there's actually uh there's actually passage of time so 
the police officers are saying their thing. If you're the devil, you won't be bothered by a few punctures from high-powered ammo. So right off the bat, these two are fighting. The ship isn't anywhere to be seen. That's what's happening at, when you encounter the left side of this panel. And then as your eye scrolls right, then the plane enters the, the scene and they, they have words. Cease all action, human, in the name of Xerus, the prime eternal, I claim that deviant dog. So like they have time to say what they're saying as the plane is rushing toward them. And then as, as your eye scrolls to the right side of the panel, then Crow has a response. So it's like there's a whole, I would say like, you know, maybe a minute and a half that takes place during this one panel, but visually it's all there all at the same time. So I, that, that kind of thing is cool. I like seeing Kirby do that. Uh, uh, and that's just one example throughout this entire book. He does it over and over again. Uh, this is also our very, very first reference, and we've mentioned this before, to anything connected to 616, because they say at the bottom of the last page, there's a, a bubble, uh, a voice coming over radio. It says, shield to group one, come in group one, report, report. Now, that that panel, and then the next issue where shield gets involved, there is a reference in the same book you quoted at the start of this, uh, the history of Marvel Universe, to mounting pressure from editorial to start making reference to previous. Kirby right. uh, creations, including or specifically Shield, and so I, knowing that, wonder if this was Kirby's choice or was something that he sort of uh, conceded through those editorial conversations. I, I would probably guess that it was the latter because I would think that if this was his choice, he would explain more about who Shield is. Like, well, I don't think they need to at Marvel at this point, um, especially because Kirby was the one who had the long run on Shield before. No, but I mean, even just like like state when these people show up that they are from Shield, but they don't. They just leave it, and then there's this little like one little panel where you, you get the one word. This is also the issue where he turns someone's head into the thing. That's also true. Yes. The um, that. <laughs> which again is a reference to uh or a callback to previous kirby work and um since that he's i think arguably is as well known for the fantastic four as anything yeah um, i think was uh, a, another concession so i do wonder how much of this issue was the first time you're seeing kirby lose full autonomy yeah the the thing i was going to say that the thing was the first time it ties into the 616 but um the, there's no reference that the thing actually exists in this world it could have been you know a comic Except, book no, character they they reference the fantastic four in the in the dialogue yeah but it could have been you know they could have seen a fantastic four movie in this world or something like that whereas these shield guys are actually shield roger agents. corman hadn't made his fantastic four movie yet curtis they couldn't have seen it <laughs> there was an issue of what if where there's the, the fantastic four get a movie made of them uh and that was around this time well also namor funded a movie for the fantastic four an issue oh i don't remember what issue it's an early one one of those early ones yeah all right well then there you go <laughs> um, it was a trap it was a trick to try and uh, trap them and, and defeat them but then they that didn't. would explain the skepticism of the humans because i found the the human skepticism of these superpowered beings a bit odd considering you exist in the marvel universe and right have already encountered thor and the hulk and the That's avengers right. and the x-men yeah. and, and everything else and uh so then somebody being like i'm an eternal being who's got some superpowers and you're like no that's not possible <laughs> <laughs> seemed a bit a bit odd to me um the other thing just on this i don't understand core's suit that he wears into new york city uh, neither this issue um especially at the beginning when he's still trying to portray himself as the devil if you've bothered to grow devil horns to then tell people that you are satan why would you then put on a large pink hood that hides your horn yeah like it <laughs> it seemed like an odd approach to trying to fulfill uh your ruse and it's not just a hood it's like a full-on bubble helmet yeah. and, but and some, all of the mutates yeah. have that too and i suspected 
that it was because after being, you know, centuries and centuries underground that they are sensitive to, you know, the heat that the sun gives off maybe. And, or and that would make sense except that he, he doesn't, wear, doesn't it wear it the rest of the time. Yeah, that's one of those things that just gets dropped by Kirby after a while. Yeah, also, now that he's trying to be friendly, he's okay with showing you his demon horns. Like it was, right. oh, now that we're going to meet the humans and try and have a truce, demon horns. Nothing just... says trust me, like looking like the devil. But then he puts them away. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. The, I just I thought that was a bit odd. The uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you want to do issue number seven? Sure. So, uh, issue number seven is called the Fourth Host, and in this we go back to Doctor Damien and Ajax as Dan- they watch some of the Celestials gathering their data and information. Um, we have the captured Shield agents returned uh, to the to Doctor Damien and Ajax. They, I love it. They delivered them to to him in a box. Yep. And well, well, they were they were they were yeah demolecularized. Yep. Here you um, go, guys. And then the shield guys, instead of trying to um, understand their situation, automatically go into fight mode. Um, and then also we see the rest of the fourth host of Celestials starting to spread themselves around the world and uh, uh, bring the, yeah. bring about their trouble. This is what they call Alpha Day or something like that. Like the we, beginning we also of the see end. Uh, at the very last page, we get this picture of uh, Arashem with his judgment bum. And it's starting to turn maybe toward the downside <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like i said this is the this is the fourth host so um we don't know a lot about the third host one of the later issues sort of touches on a little bit um but the purpose of this one is sort of supposed to be the final judgment of how this experiment has gone it's been thousands of years now is this uh, a success by whatever uh means of judgment they have and so we have uh, gamemnon the gatherer who has his rod of life seed capsules which basically uh takes all of the um like life forms that they come across breaks them down into their their molecules and stores them in a little box and then they're passed over to jemiah the analyzer who is going to like study all the molecules and come up with some sort of solution there this was an interesting issue because it only focuses on one group of characters throughout the entire issue we don't get any subplots with circe we don't get any subplots with athena or crow or icarus or anybody else it is just ajak so while i appreciate uh fleshing out their story a little bit it also meant that um we're just stalling on the other storylines as well yeah this is why it seems like it drags on sometimes because instead of getting a little bit of each story we get a lot of one story and then a lot of the other story and when we're focusing on one story the other one can't progress at all i didn't like these shield agents at all i thought they just no. kind of gummed up the the whole story like yeah. why why are we focusing on these guys i have wonder if that wasn't intentional though i don't want to put them in here so i'm going to make them incompetent so that stop making me put them in yes could be they just seem so out of place it was just they served no purpose i mean they even brought a, a device to destroy the celestials and it proved i mean that maybe that was their point just to show that humans think that they can deal with the situation on their own and and but they can't but it was like it was dumb to have them i thought what what i found interesting about this issue is that it's the first time they actually mention celestials by name several times through this entire issue and then after this issue they don't they don't they don't use their names at all they don't call them well they don't call them like they don't refer to them as celestials at least not that i noticed okay um or at they, least they, in the they issues go back, that we read right yeah they go back to calling them um what are they called space them gods space gods yeah they go back to calling them space gods now one thing now that i think of just now um, 
um, that I didn't pay attention to is who's actually speaking. And it might be that um, that Ajax, who is speaking in this comic, calls them Celestials and everybody else calls them Space Gods and doesn't know to call them Celestials because they're outside the bubble. Oh, okay. Yeah. That could well, be the case. Also, we know Ajax was known for communicating with them where no one else has right. said that same. Yeah. Because yeah. Ajax was there in the third wave with the Inca right. connecting with him. Although yeah, he exactly. does, so, Ajax does reference that um, Zerus was also there. Right. But, but being the one who talks to them, it makes sense that he knows they're called Celestials. And, you know, he was demolecularized or whatever, so he wouldn't necessarily have a chance to tell anybody. But then I found it weird that once he starts talking about it, we don't hear that name later on. But then now that I think about it, we don't often come back to Ajax and the Doctor um, in the uh, last three issues that we're looking at today. No, that's true. Uh, but again, an example of how the powers of the uh, Eternal seem to be a bit inconsistent. One of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents manages to sucker punch him temporarily. Right. Stunning <laughs> and eternal. Yeah. Like, um, it, their powers do seem to be sort of all over the map. Uh, or S.H.I.E.L.D. has better training than I've been led to believe in the previous comics I've read. One thing that I love about um, Jack Kirby's designs here is that each Celestial has a completely different look and they are very unique looking. I like the fact that each Celestial has like conveys a personality and an emotion and yet somehow they don't all have facial features. Like some right. of them have oh, noses totally. and eyes and mouths but some of them don't and yet somehow you look at it and you're still able to recognize recognize that's a humanoid figure yeah, yeah. yeah. no totally i and i think that's an incredible piece on, on kirby's part like he's created these very odd looking non-humanoid things that are human like yeah but they all still look like they belong together yes, yes. they're yes. also yeah. they are all unique and yeah. they all look completely different but they also look all the same yeah like 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 you talked about yeah. the deviants they all look completely different yeah but they don't look like a cohesive group which is the point right you yeah. know their their unstable genetics makes them completely different when they're born but but these celestials are very clearly the same species but all look very different okay let's go on to the next issue it's called the city of toads and this is issue number eight uh crow convinces thena to accompany him to his home in lemuria the underground underwater uh city the fallen city and in particular, the city of Toads, which is kind of the capital city. I think they also call it New Lemura. And this is where, you know, the Grand Toad happens to be. Um, and there they witness a gladiator-type battle. This is so classic of, you know, deviant-type races where they just... You know a lot of those? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm friends with several. All uh, the deviant races. No, I mean, it's just like, you know, Planet of the Apes and, uh, you know, Thor Ragnarok it was the same situations. Like, you, you pit your, your characters against each other in these battles and here we're introduced to uh, two characters one is carcass who is a giant red character a deviant who is like a big bad monster all of the, the deviants seem to not like the, him or are scared of him and he seems to be the champion and then we're also introduced to reject reject who is a beautiful-looking uh, deviant? Who oh, he's also a champion. I guess he's winning all the battles. So this is kind of like the, uh, the 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 last tier in their bracket. Uh, that this is the um, deviant uh, that I was referring to that might have perhaps made a better choice to represent as a representative the to the human race than the one who's decided to portray himself as the devil. Yeah, except the so reject looks. He he kind of reminds me of the Beyonder actually, the way that he's all dressed in silver with the black hair and such. But uh, reject. Is 
is called reject because he has been rejected by all the deviants because he doesn't look ugly enough. His name's, he, his name's not reject. His name is Ransack the Reject. Ransack the Reject. Well, they just call him the Reject. Yes, in in most of it, yeah. The Reject. But his actual name is Ransack. Ransack. Do they say that in here? I missed that. Um, I don't know if it comes up in this yet or not, but his name... I missed it too. Um, yeah, the, the I think the idea is that he looks like an eternal. Yeah. He looks like one of their like mortal enemies. So, so they hate him. They hate him, yeah. And he's got some definitely some issues because he lashes out or actually he doesn't lash out in this issue that's the next one yeah um but yeah Thena looks at him and goes oh you know maybe he's not that bad how could he possibly be a deviant that comes down to the unstable war constant warring piece right okay so this was the point where I was like man if this were a TV show it would be Dragon Ball Z because <laughs> it is moving so slow and it's like the, the the overall plot isn't going anywhere and we're it's just gonna it's gonna take ages for this 50 year period <laughs> to really because see if i it, when i read this if this was a tv show i would have thought to myself it was um like some ridiculous uh teen um drama right because suddenly thena yeah. and core are ex-lovers yeah and that's having right. a lover's spat <laughs> and i was like where did this come from it's like a yeah. bad plot from the oc or dawson's creek or something and it yeah. it made no sense to me at all that it turns out these two were at one point lovers like, but i wondered if that was a, a reference to something in old greek mythology or something like that because i i was thinking of like persephone having to go down and live with uh with with hades or whatever they kind of made i mean i know that's not these characters but they kind of made reference to that like she had to spend some time with the deviants or something like that in the past or maybe it was just another story that jack wanted to tell at another time oh i don't know okay oh hold on uh in the earth uh, i was just seeing if there's a connection between chronos and which i don't so one thing that's interesting here is that on the cover in the little text box he's not called crow he's called crona oh okay yeah and so i don't know if that is like some kind of link to chronos from greek mythology or maybe it's an accidental reference to uh crona the um former guardian of the universe from dc huh. maybe somebody made a mistake there uh, does anyone have anything they want to say about this issue anything more Done. I, I like Carcass uh, better in the Thor books when he shows up later. Ah, uh, yeah. Spoil for Thor. Well, why don't we go on to issue number nine? Oh. I forgot to mention the, the from number five. And we're well past that. Um, it's not in the book itself, but in the original comic, there was a hostess ad uh, that featured Spider-Man fighting the Fly, who was a complete throwaway, nothing Spider-Man villain. But technically, the Fly had not appeared in ASM uh, number ten yet, ASM Annual number ten, um, which came out later that same month. But technically, <laughs> his first appearance is a hostess ad in the original issue of um, uh, Eternals number five. Well, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> So if you weren't excited about issue five previously, finding an original copy in one of those dime bins, just so you can have the first appearance of the fly. It's a key issue. Get it slapped, everybody. <laughs> you just wait. You don't know. I mean, you have no idea which other Spider-Man villains are showing up in this next Spider-Man movie. Because right. you know, you know, if, if, if the fly shows up in one of those movies, the speculators are going to go nuts for it. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, well, bet. I mean, think of what people running out for Venus number nine now that I've mentioned it. That's right. <laughs> Okay, Craig, you want to take us through issue number nine? So issue nine is The Killing Machine. And uh, this one is now uh, the Deviants and the Eternals are sort of fully established themselves with the humans and the wider population of Earth. And now we're also the wider Earth population is becoming aware of the celestial problem as well. And so they're now planning out their attack 
so that the Celestials are planning their attack on the Deviant Kingdom of Lemuria. And um, in this one, Dina's really has, having to choose between whether she wants to be loyal to her former lover or whether she's going to be loyal to the, the Eternals because they have been called back to uh, their mountaintop. Um, and so that's sort of one of the big issues there. You have also the introduction of Sprite, who is the uh, Eternal trapped in a child's body who tends to be very mischievous. So she plays a trick in this one. There's a giant monster which turns just be an old by um, Sprite. And then you get references to so not references you get the celestials showing up all over the earth so they're starting to move themselves position um so they're showing up in australia they're showing up in in siberia and uh, miami beach and so you're getting eternal sort of around the globe in this issue and at the end of this carcass and ransack have their big battle uh, after which ransack wins and tries to just destroy the palace uh, of the great toad um and so that's sort of the the gist of this issue there's also a plot a little plot point that's going to play big in the in the next issue here eason what's which celestial is he? He's he's in the um he goes underwater. He he heads to the Lemuria city. Yes, that's yeah. right. So he's positioning himself under sea. That's the thing that that's the place that he's going to oversee. <laughs> oversee. Oversee. He's going to oversee the undersea. You see. Uh, okay, so I really like this introduction to the reject as he battles um, Carcass because it shows that uh, while we thought that he was going to be a level-headed eternal type character, he actually still acts like a deviant. He is completely you know full of rage and mistrust and just is is fighting and stuff like that so that that i thought was a nice little twist because uh, i thought it would have been kind of on the nose for him to just be kind of altruistic like the the rest of the the eternals so that was nice um i found it found it interesting again that Dina is surprised that this uh deviant particularly particularly carcass is is listed as a um mutate and she's surprised that he can talk and and think well, yeah which makes you wonder if they all can well some of the other don't. ones that were attacking attacking the earth were, were talking hmm. so i'm i'm again it's one of these things where there's clearly supposed to be some sort of like lore around this but it hasn't really been either fleshed out properly properly or or explained or anything like that yeah he doesn't have his 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 own mythology no (laughs) set in stone he hasn't sort of figured it out yet no Um, i'm also confused by the acts of these other celestials um i thought the point was to wait 50 years and check it all out and then you know destroy everything at that point but um particularly uh the one at lemuria is already trying to destroy lemuria and the other ones they're not really attacking but they're they're like setting up shop it's not like they're just watching right yeah they do seem to be speeding up their 50 year uh, schedule into like a day which is good i'm glad that they're moving <laughs> forward with their plot a little bit here yeah and in fact the next issue is the one that i like um the most out of all of these ones here i thought it was it was really good um it's called mother this is issue 10 this is the final issue we're going to talk about uh today and uh we get to we go back to olympia and get a little bit to we get to know uh Zeros a little bit more because he's kind of one character that just kind of showed up in that one issue, didn't really do anything, except his body got electrified and bolts of lightning were coming out of him. But uh, in this one, Zeros discovers the actual purpose of the Celestials being on Earth, which is that they're going to judge it and destroy it. I guess that only Ajax knew that before or something. Uh, so he activates something called the Unifier, which calls all of the... It's, it's, it's like a, it's a beacon. It sends out a little homing signal or something like that, a distress call to all Eternals. And they are all called back to Olympia. So everybody kind of drops what they're doing and they head, they head home, including Thena, 
who has to leave Crow and all of those other guys to go back home. But before she does that, she actually takes compassion on Reject and Carcass, both of them, and says, if you want, you can come with me to Olympia and you will have sanctuary there. We will care for you. And so they go with her. So I thought that was a cool thing. I, I, I fully expected Reject to go, but I did not expect Carcass to go too. So I like that. I thought that was really kind of cool. I, I actually like the relationship between Thena and Crow, even though you were like, they sh they're shoehorning this kind of teen soap opera drama kind of aspect to it. But I like it because it gives Crow a much deeper dimension than just being like a, a, a war-hungry deviant. I, I agree. I, I, I really do like it. It does come out of left field. It's weird. It doesn't really fit, but it's done well. And like, like just sort of isolated from everything else it's done well also it gives thena a, an opportunity to show that she has uh, that she sees potential in the deviants right. like they're not just these monsters who are like hopelessly outclassed um but she actually sees something in them uh, and there's this interesting message of like valuing yourself as you are regardless of your looks right um she sees hey you know you could be something more if you just sort of like believe in yourself if you like just put aside the fact that you look different um and you focused on your uh, your abilities and who you are, then you, she, know, you, you also could... judged Carcass based on his appearance. I know, right? <laughs> but I mean, and it's also it's easy to say coming from an Eternal who you know looks and acts perfect, and everything is is all fine and dandy for them. But uh, it's interesting that she had that uh, little moment there. Yeah, this was the issue that I also found the timing to be really odd. And I'd mentioned this before, like his plotting isn't great. So at the beginning of this issue, we actually have Eason uh, like reaching his hand into Lemuria, like through this little hole that leads to Lemuria, because he's like, oh, what's down there? And um, and, it's, and as an aside, it's kind of cool that he can like absorb the knowledge of the city just through his hand being there. But um, But he ends up just destroying the city. Because it's like, you know, if we're like studying an ant hill, like an ant farm, and we accidentally shake it up a little bit, like everything's destroyed, he probably did the same thing there. Uh, and then the waters start rushing in and everything's flooding. And then it, then like they have to, they, it gets to the point where they're like, they're rushing Toad and all of the, the royalty out of, because like the floodwaters have reached the palace and it's like the whole city is collapsing. And then we move over to the arena and nothing's happening. And I had to, I thought to myself, oh, is, I thought they were in Lemuria as well. How come, you know, that's not happening? Like, the world, like and they have this huge long conversation and nothing's happening. Like the, the waters aren't rising or whatever. And then they leave. And in the very last panel, then we see that Crow is like going to drown or whatever. So I thought that they yeah. could have, he could have had some signs that stuff was happening behind the scenes at the same time or something. But... And, and and similarly, if we go with uh, the Icarus and Makari sort of plot line, we see them in the previous issue, which is page 154 in this collection. Yep. And uh, Icarus catches Sprite. Yep. Hey, you know, you tricked us, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to catch you. And he does. And then and he we, next, spanking. we next see them them uh 22 pages later and if you're and, reading this uh, in like as it originally came up this yeah. is a whole month gone by right but but all this stuff happens in this issue and you finally get back to them and he's still and he's giving him a spanking him, him. <laughs> 
Dude, he's giving them a spanking for this for for treating them uh for for like tricking them. With, but like that's a long time. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in between there. But that story just paused. Keep in mind that although Sprite is in the body of a child, Sprite is not a child. Oh yeah, well that, that too. Is right? another adult. He's he's also <laughs> he's also thousands of years old. Um, yeah. interesting though that they mentioned that he's the Sprite in um in Shakespeare. Is that um Midsummer's Night Dream? Yeah, yeah, Midsummer Night's Dream. Correct. So is Sprite not a Greek character or? No, those were Greek characters in that play, right? Uh, they were riffs on some of them were. Yeah. yeah. It sort of yeah. inspired. Yeah. Any more thoughts on number 10? Yeah, the title of this is Mother, and it doesn't really talk about being a mother at all. I, I thought that was a reference to Athena adopting the two. Like, it could. It might be. Like, yeah. She's, of, she's being motherly toward them. Yeah. And she chooses them over her supposed lover. Like, she abandoned. I thought that it was going to be like, that, uh, that reject ends up being uh, like her and uh, Crow's child or something but then you know she wouldn't necessarily be surprised by that I would think yeah um, anyways that's why I, I took it as a reference to to sort of her adopting them and choosing the, the kids over the father because she yeah. abandons Cor yeah maybe or sorry Crow she abandons Crow in the city and she takes the, the two other deviant mutates with her mm-hmm. um, it could also just be a reference to um, the parenting scene you've just discussed regarding Icarus and uh, <laughs> Sprite um, quality 1970s parenting that's right <laughs> Well, and that brings us to the end of what we are going to discuss today. Do either of you have any final thoughts about the first half of Kirby's Eternals? It's a little messy. It's not bad. There's definitely, like, there are moments of greatness in this, but it's, you have to kind of dig for them. Like you said at the beginning, the art is great all across, but the story is just a little jumbled. It it, it ebbs and flows uh, in terms of the pacing and some of the ideas shift. So there's good stuff in here. And I'm, I'm interested to see the second half to see if that gets a little more consistent. Um, yeah, I would agree. I think that there some great concepts some really interesting ideas i think that it's too big for the number of pages that kirby had at his disposal i think that sometimes it was a little bit overly wordy and that causes it to drag a bit I, I found also he's got too big a cast too quickly i know you were talking previously about how you like that he pasted it out sort of one character at a time but <laughs> that was for the it, first half of the book <laughs> it, it picks up that like it's a pretty crowded yeah book by the end sort of that that part i found a bit like it does take so long to come back to certain people and I, yeah, I don't know if that, that was part of the issue, but it, it almost seemed to me like he was, as we said, he was trying to build something outside the Marvel Universe, and I don't think he was trying to build something outside the Marvel Universe as much as he was trying to build his own Kirby Universe. And um, you can sort of see that, and I think that he was maybe doing too much too fast. Yeah, I will agree with uh, with all of your comments there. I think that it, it started off great. I really enjoyed the first few issues where the concepts were fresh and new, and we could see where he's kind of going. And then after a little bit, when it started to get meandering, I'm like, okay, I think this needs to change up. I, I think that if this were made today, I would maybe compare it to like Planetary or something with a high concept like that. Uh, and if Kirby were to be able to, to write in a more modern style where he, I don't know, the, it isn't as dialogue heavy and he can stretch out the story for more issues. Um, but because of that, you can put more more of the subplots in every issue or something like that.
something like that, then maybe it would flow a little bit better. Also it, with just like five extra pages, right? The five extra pages would have probably helped too. But I think that Kirby was just not as familiar with the long-term storytelling that he was trying to accomplish here. Because if you think back through the through the 60s, like through the through the 40s and 50s when all he was doing that, those were all like 15-page yeah. stories. It was all anthology-based and whatever. And then you get into the Marvel era and it's all um, self-contained single issues. Yeah, there yeah. are little plot threads that are happening underneath, but for the most part, it's like the story starts and stops in that one the, issue. The monster of the week kind of type of idea. And then with the fourth world, he has all of those different plot points, but they all are within their own book. So it's like he doesn't have to shoehorn the Mr. Miracle storyline in the Forever People because it's all happening in Mr. Miracle. And he's getting four issues per month. I believe they're all monthly. Uh, no, actually, I think it was, I think they were all bi-monthly. So it's like he got Jimmy Olsen and Mr. Miracle, for instance, on one month to tell those stories. And then he got Forever People and New Gods on the other month. Um, and so like he had four times as many pages to tell his story per month as he is for Eternals right here. So I think he just has too big of a concept to really develop in what he was trying to do. So you're saying that you think it would have worked better if he'd had, say, like an Icarus book and an Ajax book. <laughs> and, uh, I think that Athena just to book. start, maybe just bump the number of pages up or something. Or or maybe they could have done it like uh like like a modern crossover story where there's like the uh the fourth host uh miniseries and then there's tie-ins. But even even the the thing with the host, like yeah. I mean, I think you've done a really good job of explaining that as best you can, Eric. But I mean, if you don't have that piece, there's like one panel per host to explain all of that. Like he's creating <laughs> yeah. an incredible amount of oh, there's so much backstory in one page, just four panels. Like, yeah, the first host was tampering with the cosmic chemistry and creating things and the second host was bringing order to chaos and crushing some deviants and the third host was collecting some like harvesting some stuff and the incas praising them and they zipped around <laughs> the planet for a little while yep. and now we're in the fourth host and that's a lot of stuff to stick in there and it was mostly exposition um and, and that's a lot of backstory as well that that he tried to jam into like such a short amount of space well i'm eager to see where this goes i know that plots don't get resolved because kirby leaves marvel again uh before he can finish up things again so i'm not hopeful for the ending but you know we're gonna see this through and <laughs> we'll see what happens i you know though the neat thing about it not being resolved is that it has allowed at various times other authors or, or creators to come in and really sort of explore where that was going yeah it, whereas in other things they can take the characters but they can't really take the, the story to an ending and then so that's like we've had that reference in, in the more recent ones where every time they're resurrected they don't remember who they are and we've had that sort of interesting piece i think that's the one thing obviously it wasn't an intention of kirby i don't think kirby set out to make an unfinished work but right that has sort of been the one uh upside is you've been able to have have different people come along and, and do different interpretations of how this might have ended. yeah so. by the way if you want as much information as possible on uh from from these issues about the the different hosts that's on page 120 and 121 okay well that's all we're going to talk about today we thank you everybody for listening please uh check out facebook instagram and twitter and follow us on subscribe to us on youtube and uh yeah we'll be back next week with the second half of the eternals thanks for listening everybody goodbye cheers all